Hi, I'm Shane Hurlbut. I'm an ASC cinematographer, and I wanted to kind of talk to you about something. Getting started in this industry is almost impossible. And my wife, Lydia, and I, 14 years ago, created a resource called Filmmakers Academy to make it possible. We saw a lot of gatekeeping in this industry and not a lot of sharing knowledge. So we wanted to pull back the curtain, give you confidence, teach you all the necessary skills to be an amazing, successful filmmaker, and package it all on this online resource that you have at your fingertips, on set, on your phone, on your laptop, whatever it is. So we're going to give you $50. So if you go into the show notes, click the link, and hit the promo code FAPOD50, you're going to get $50 on your first year of an all-access membership. And I cannot wait for you to join our immense and immersive community at Filmmakers Academy, where we network, we share knowledge, we just bond as this huge filmmaking uh, resource to ignite your creativity and push you beyond your boundaries. I cannot wait to see you in the Academy, and let's get to the podcast. Welcome to another episode of Finding the Frame. We have producer-director here, Jason Baum, with us. He is known for projects like Kendrick Lamar's The Heart Part 5, Count Me Out, Humble, also the latest film on Netflix, The Seven Faces of Jane. He also was part of the producing team on Spike Jones' Beastie Boys Story. A lot of amazing products, a lot of amazing talent. How's it going? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So what's new? I saw that you were recently at the Grammys over the weekend. How was that experience? Oh, it was, it was so much fun. Um, you know, I love music. So just being at an event that celebrates music on that level and all your favorite singers performing, it's pretty cool. And fortunately enough, but unfortunately enough, you had a nomination for Kendrick Lamar's The Heart Part 5, amazing music video. What was it like to be there, especially just backing this film, something that you were extremely close to? Um, you know, I was super proud of it. Um, what you're hinting to is, unfortunately, we didn't win. Um, we lost to Taylor Swift and her film uh, All Too Well. Um, you know, I'm still really proud of it. I think it you know, it's still being nominated and being in this category. It just, you know, shows that it's at least one of the best mm -hmm. music videos of the year and it has risen to some kind of cultural importance. And I think in all the work that I do, that's all I strive for is something that means something to people and has a greater impact on the culture. Right. So, you know, even though we didn't walk away with it, you know, we're, we're on, we're on some level. So yeah, at least you get to be a part of the experience and it's always great to go to the Grammys and have a project that you're a part of. And especially working with a collaborator like Kendrick, he at least did win best rap album, right? Which is really awesome. Yeah. He did in a, a couple other rap categories yeah. too. So he didn't walk away with nothing. It was an interesting Grammy. So it was pretty well spread out in terms of every artist kind of getting right. a couple. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I want to spend some time painting the picture of you 
where you grew up, how you became a filmmaker, specifically a producer and director. While doing some research, I read that you were born and raised in Maui, which that's pretty awesome. Maui, Hawaii for everyone. And I just want to know what was that like and how did that really formulate you as an artist? Well, you know, growing up in a place that you can't imagine what it's like to grow up anywhere else. Like it's such a unique experience to yourself. Um, but you know, it's a beautiful, uh, idyllic place and I, I can't, I only assume it's really affected, uh, every kind of fiber of me and it's, uh, it's really special and I, I just, um, I'm really thankful to, to come from there. Yeah, absolutely. So when you were younger, did you grow up wanting to be a filmmaker? Was there a specific point in your childhood or upbringing that you're like, oh, I think I want to be in this industry? I'm not one of those Steven Spielberg, J.J. Abrams type of people that, you know, picked up a camera and saw the vision of their future for the rest of their lives. Um, I, I've i always liked art in some shape or form. Like, I loved painting. My parents it, it took me to piano classes. Um, at one time, I thought maybe I wanted to be an author. Um, so all those kind of various experiences or desires kind of started my my progression towards filmmaking and really what set it off was um i took a camcorder over a winter break um from my school i uh, in my high school i made a short film with my friends and didn't really think much of it and we submitted for some you know this was early internet days a couple of you know film festivals that we could find in random places and um, we got into a couple. And when it came down to finally submitting, you know, applications for college, I, I kind of played the field. I, I looked at graphic design, web design, all kinds of things that were of interest to me. And one was film. So I submitted the short film to NYU. And much to my surprise, I got into the film program. And being that it was the best school that I got into and the most prestigious program, I was like, oh, Maybe they see something in this that I don't quite know in myself yet. And at least it's a good enough school where if I'm like, oh, this isn't for me, I could switch majors. So um, that process of making the short film sent me off into NYU and, you know, basically is the reason why I'm still in film. That's awesome. I love that curiosity because you're absolutely right. Not everyone's going to have the Steven Spielberg like, aha, I know exactly this is what I want to do with like exact confidence. And to hear someone like yourself doing these amazing projects, it's okay to not know for sure when you're tiptoeing into an industry like filmmaking and just have that like basic level of curiosity, especially you got the chance to make a short film, which at your age, when you probably did it, it's not something that everybody does. And that project carried over into getting you into NYU and I'm assuming that snowballed not even assuming I know so it snowballed to where you are today but what out of the filmmaking process at least at that period in your life and bringing it into now what really intrigued you about it was there anything that stood out specifically it really was collaboration like I think what I enjoyed most about making that as a as a high schooler was just involving my friends and, you know, us getting together and having something collectively to work on and something that also when we're done collectively could be proud of. So, uh, you know, compared to the other arts where it's very singular, like maybe if you're a musician or a painter, like filmmaking was so interesting because you could bring all these people together to make one thing. And it felt like, you know, you sort of really, uh, it, it, 
I never liked sports, so it was like the closest thing to like being on a sports team or something mm-hmm. like that. That's really interesting. That's a really good way to look at it. It is very collaborative and very much like a sports team. And there's a lot of roles. And I'm assuming during your time at NYU, you were trying to figure out which role best suit you. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear what that experience was like. Did you know that you wanted to be a producer and a director? Or did, did it take some time to get that understanding? Well, I'll back up because... Um, Part of going to NYU and coming from Hawaii, you know, Hawaii doesn't really have, you know, maybe a little bit now with the internet, but Mm -hmm. at that time, there was no art cinema. Like, I didn't know what Sundance was. Um, I only saw, you know, your latest Marvel, you know, blockbuster movie. So I didn't know that there was foreign film. And, you know, like, obviously, I knew something like that existed, but not something I would ever consume. So, you know, one of the most helpful things coming into NYU was they gave you like a list of the 50, the professor's 50 favorite films or something. And I bought all of them on eBay um, because it was before a lot of these were on Criterion and uh, really tried to research so I could try and understand these things because I felt like I was at a disadvantage coming from Hawaii and not knowing any of this. Mm-hmm. Um and it's crazy, uh, like, such as this program right now, it's crazy what you can learn on the internet now, which I didn't have the the vantage of. But in terms of finding out what I, I liked about filmmaking and where I sort of fit in, I remember in the, uh, one of the first classes, they uh, the professor kind of just asked, you know, what is everyone interested in? And they're like, everyone that wants to be a director, raise your hand. 90% of the class raises their hand. Who wants to be a producer? Nobody raises their hand. DP, a couple... Um, and, and they go writer and things like that and all the other kind of above the line positions. I didn't raise my hand. I had no idea because I also didn't know what any of these people did. Yeah. Um, like trying to understand what a GP did versus a director versus producer. Like I, I was there to learn. So it wasn't really until maybe um, after the first year where all these roles kind of became a little bit more familiar to me. Um, I went to NYU, so uh, every summer I would come out to LA. I had an aunt who sort of was in the industry, and, or not wasn't in the industry at that time, but came from the industry. She had a background as a dancer and an on-camera actress. So she gave me some tips. I stayed with her for the summer, and I would intern. And in some of these places that I interned were mainly music video companies or commercial production companies. That's when I really start to understand what people did in the sense that while I worked on student films where you do a lot of things and the roles aren't quite defined because everyone's still figuring it out for themselves, being on a professional set and seeing how these departments work together and how people um, at least uh, have a freelance kind of culture and how uh, like it blew my mind that I would the crew that was working on my first shoot like they would pop up again, like on the third or fourth shoot and be like, oh, you're back. Like, you know, this person, like uh, no idea. Um, so it was that sort of freelance lifestyle that I definitely started to appeal to. And um, and at that time, what were like, what were some of the roles that you were doing on these productions? Was a lot of producing or were you just trying to figure out and being in different departments? As an intern, um, it was mainly mm. production. Yeah. Um, you know, it's essentially PAing, but at that time was PAing for free versus the PAs that actually got paid. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, as I started to learn more in film at NYU, given that, you know, they are the great thing about NYU is they encourage you to 
learn every position. It's not like what I understand USC is like, which is like, if you want to be a director, that's all you focus your yeah, it's energy on. Yeah, very path-driven. Yeah. yeah. But NYU wants you to be able to pick up a boom pole and know how to, you know, get good dialogue. I like um, that. As much as, you know, AC for someone or any other sort of position. Um, so I started to very much get attracted to directing, as most people in film school do. Um, that was still my sort of passion exiting uh, college. But essentially, I did my thesis film. And instead of doing it in New York, I decided to do it in L.A. because I pretty much knew that I wanted to live in Los Angeles instead of New York. So I felt that if I was going to put all this time and resources into making something, instead of wasting the opportunity in New York, I was going to do it in L.A. So I made my thesis film in L.A. Uh, the person that I befriended to produce it uh, was a music video producer and because it was through my music video production company experiences through interning. And after that, I, I needed a job. It was, I, I was out of college. I had nothing going on. So I just started PAing for the person that produced my uh, thesis film. And that kind of set me off into production and producing. Yeah. yeah. And that's when you started. So I'm assuming this producer lived in Los Angeles and you moved out here. And just to keep the ball rolling with your career... Is that how, did you know at that time, yes, I can do this, I wanted to be a filmmaker, or was that a little bit later when you started getting on bigger projects that the light clicked and you were like, yes, this is exactly what I want to do? The film, the filmmaking light clicked pretty much after interning, where okay. I actually saw real professionals doing this versus my classmates doing this right. at a different level. So seeing real professionals doing their job was like, this is cool, like, this is never a job that I would have imagined coming from Hawaii as something I could do, but I could see myself doing it. And I think uh, production was just very natural for me. I'm a natural planner. I'm very organized. It's a, These skills are just helpful as a, as a producer. So was, mm -hmm. even though I wanted to direct, I was being pulled in, into this direction of producing where I had some natural talent. So that's kind of what set me off in the producing right. direction away from directing. And let's break down the producing role before we get into some of the other projects that came just for those that are really interested in what that looks like when you're going onto a set, let's say that this is another music video or even a film. What are some of the logistics or the things that the producer oversees on a production? Um, I've used this example before and I, I think it's the easiest. It's producing is like being a wedding planner. Um, your client in some regards is maybe the director or the financier um, in a music video it could be the artist um, or in a commercial it could be the client or product you're here to put something together for them they are giving you the money to to execute it and you need to pull in the vendors you need to employ, uh, employ people to help you pull this off you need to arrange locations there might be permitting involved so a producer is overseeing the the creation of of a shoot while trying to balance money, time, and and the creative and what is what is mm -hmm. at stake. So, when was the first, or what was the first project that you got to be producer on, and what was that experience like? So, to, to can you continue the story about the person that was producing my short film? His name's Ross. Uh, I. I came on as his office PA and was working on commercials and music videos. 
Uh, I then started to become a little bit more of like the production coordinator, then became the production manager. And eventually we were we were pretty busy and there were projects where he couldn't take them on. So we decided to then do this kind of like co-team, co-produce scenario where I, I might be production managing a project he's on, but I'm also setting up producing something that is coming down the line. So we kind of overlap on these projects. But as a result, I started to meet people on my own outside of Ross's network that wanted to work with me and directors that now had a rapport with me versus him. And that that was kind of where my first projects came from. So it's hard to define your first, mm -hmm. you know, like I, I produced, you know, a music video in college. I, produ I produced you know, a, a 10 K passion video for a bunch of Emerson students. Um, <laughs> but I guess the first, the first music video might've been this, not a surf music video that was like a real commission from a real label. I think it might've been $20,000. Maybe that's probably too much. It was probably only like 10, $12,000. Uh, so that might be my, my real first job and what were some of the things in these early years that really molded you that you learned and specifically i guess the question would be what were some of the challenges that you weren't even prepared for because of film school that once you got on set like oh this is really what producing is was there anything that stood out well i think i'm, I'm constantly learning it yeah. and it's hard as, as any type of uh thing to to overcome like there's always something you didn't think of and you're like oh gosh well, why didn't that come to my brain at the time at least for music videos which was sort of the bulk of my career for such a long time the hardest thing was just balancing the desires of the director that has a creative vision and uh, that's very pure and wrestling with the fact that the person that's giving you money also has a say in right. what's happening and as much as um, you know, I like to consider myself an artist and a creative soul, and I want to just do what's right for the director and what feels the most beautiful or feels the most emotional and can lead to the best work. You know, you have this obligation to someone that that's giving you the money. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, the it, it's a it's nothing new. It's the traditional art versus commerce right. aspect of any industry or any artistic creative medium. Absolutely. And I love how you brought that up because it is one of the questions that I always have. It's how do you navigate managing expectations on set as a producer, right? You have a whole team that you're overseeing and there are multiple clients. It could be the director and the label and you kind of have to feed both sources. As a producer, what do you do to set yourself up for success? Is there anything like in pre-production or what are just some of your tactics? I would say the number one thing is over communication yeah. um, because assumptions always lead to trouble. Uh, so the more you can present everything that you're doing so that you don't have to have, have the conversation on set when literally time is of the essence. When you, I've been in scenarios where we've had to stop production to have an important conversation and it was just because people didn't communicate or weren't clear about what they wanted things to be. Mm -hmm. So as much as you can bring any potential disagreement to a conversation ahead of time, the better. 
Right. So let's just say that, you know, your career started to snowball. What was that looking like for you as a producer as you're getting more jobs that are coming across your table? What are you looking for out of a project and just trying to be selective? Is it something that you're looking for a specific story and this is the artistic part of you? Or are you looking to work with this specific filmmaker? How did you create that longevity? I, I try to be pure. Uh, once again, you know, I, I view myself as a creative soul. So mm-hmm. The way I select projects, I I pretty much always ask myself before I say yes to something, is this something I would watch? Me, myself, not just any audience. It's not like, oh, I could see this demographic liking something like this. It should be successful. It's like, no, will I watch this? Is this something that I would stream on Netflix? Is this a commercial that I would skip over? Or is this a commercial I would watch? Mm-hmm. Is it music that I, I find interesting? So... I try to keep 100% of my job selection based on that criteria. That's not always how it pans out. Right. There's other factors that I consider when I take on a job. One might be just purely money. I might need money. Right. And that's totally (laughs) fair. And if there's nothing else going on and I just need to do a job because it pays well and that's all I have going on at the time, I might do that. And the other thing is relationship building. It might be a director that... I've really wanted to work with. I might not like the idea, but it's like, here's a chance to to meet someone new. Or it's not even sometimes a director. I've picked jobs because I knew a certain DP was going to do it. Right. Um, and I really want to work with that DP. So, you know, it's it could be a networking opportunity. Right. And I guess bouncing off of that, right, you have the team that you're going to be working with. A new project comes across your table and you're like, all right, I want to bring this uh, like to fruition. I want to bring it to life. What does it look like when you're building your team? I'm assuming you have a Rolodex of people that you really love working with. And I guess my question would be like, what are you considering? And each project is different, right? You're not always going to have the same person because you might need a specific skill set. But what does your prep process look like when you're trying to bring these projects to life? I, I think I almost approach it like what I think a good casting director does. Mm-hmm. It's really team building is so important. It's There's never one, only one person for a job. So I look at that. I could even say I look down all the way to the bottom to a PA mm-hmm. and how I choose who comes on to a project because almost the worst thing that can happen to any project is bringing the wrong person in. Um, usually that advice goes towards DPs. Uh, a, ro- a wrong DP can really change yeah. uh, a project's trajectory. I, I treat it as casting and, uh, you know, Certain PAs that I've worked with have stronger suits for, like, for example, if I was, I was in New York and I need a PA to do a lockup on a street, that's not anybody. Like, you need the right personable person right. that can, you know, flag a pedestrian and explain very quickly and earnestly what is happening and get them to not, you know, walk into the shot. So that that goes for my production managers. I have production managers that a little bit more flexible so they're better uh, better for music videos versus someone that's you know very button up and does things very big which would break a music video budget but is great for a commercial so really i try to be intentional with 
every person that I hire. Mm -hmm. And do you have a core team that you typically pick for your producing team or just the production team? You know, you have your production manager. What are some of the other roles that are essential for a lot of your productions that you like to see? Yeah, it really starts with the production manager. Um, That's my sort of key hire on Mm -hmm. any shoot. Uh, I think because I do such a variety of different things, uh, I, I have different people that I'm that I use for different things and depending on, on what the project is. Right. Yeah. And what, let's just break down the production hierarchy because I think that's really okay. like valuable for, for people to understand. So there's going to be you, the producer at the top, who's underneath you just helping to get the job done. Well, I think the answer is also is what kind of project. There's a lot of different mm-hmm. kinds of producers. There's creative producers. There's sort of more finan- financing producers. There's physical producers, not normally known as a line producer. I, I kind of blend in all those roles, mm-hmm. uh, but let's take sort of more a short form context where I'm the line producer. There's usually a production manager or production supervisor that works under under me. Between the two of us, we're kind of more in tune with the budget and what's being spent. Mm-hmm. And maybe the production manager or the production supervisor is a little bit more just on overall logistics. Hopefully, I don't have to balance uh, balance logistics because, as a producer, or at least as a creative producer, I'm really trying to be at my director's hip and really yeah. giving him or her or there the, the the time for them to have someone to have a creative conversation with because directing is really hard and you you're being asked a billion questions every day. And trying to come up with the right answer. And sometimes you need that person to be like, am I making the right choice? Right. Do you think differently? So to be able to be present to have that conversation with director, with the director, you want to try and remove yourself from the logistics that are bogging you down. Back to what's underneath the production manager or supervisor is the coordinator. Mm-hmm. Uh, I usually don't hire the coordinator because that's a very intimate position to the production manager. Usually I just trust whoever they want to bring on. And then usually there's an office PA that r- reports the production coordinator. Is They're usually not doing... It's different from like maybe a truck PA who's doing pickups and things like that. They're kind of more administrative and then there's just the set PAs that show up on set. And that's kind of the overview of, of a production department. Sometimes you might have a, a talent coordinator or an associate producer or some other sort of production. Right. No, that's a really good breakdown because I feel like a lot of people that are just starting, once you start getting into these bigger music videos, commercials, even films, there is a larger production team that you're going to be working with as a producer that you have to oversee. And that is the core of the heart of these productions. It's not just the director. It's not just the DP being creative. There is a sense of, and I love looking at producing as like a game of chess. There's a lot of people that you have to orchestrate and there's like a level of, you got to be able to get it done. So being the way that you put it, it's it's really nice to see that collaboration that happens, right? There's a lot of collaboration outside of just you and the director. You have to work with all of these different roles. Make sure you give them the task at hand. So I guess as your career started to progress, you know, you started getting bigger productions, bigger music videos, some collaborators that are bigger. What was it like in that time where you're learning to work with, you know, let's say it was your first collaboration with Kendrick Lamar. That was humble, right? Mm-hmm. What was it like? getting onto a production of that magnitude and working with a collaborator like himself, one of the most prolific rappers, artists working today. 
what do you have to do as a producer to make sure that one you're giving these artists what they need but also just preparing yourself for what could like this production could be i think the experience scaled pretty Mm -hmm. easily in a way because the one thing is with bigger projects you get more money so some corners that you're used to cutting you no longer have to cut but the catch of it is there's higher expectations for what you have to deliver so you know, I, I find it always really hard to convey to clients what money represents because they think they have this large sum and it means a whole lot, but it goes by very quickly. And as you scale, everything scales with it. So it was really just progressive. You know, yeah. I, I started, you know, making five, 10K music videos and just notched myself up until I finally, you know, breaked a a hundred K barrier. And mm-hmm. I've kind of progressively been going up since. And it, it really was kind of the same thing. It's just more, it's right. like more days, more money to spend it on, on toys and things like that. But you know, what I really love about producing is figuring almost every project, or at least the kinds of projects that I take, there's something I haven't done before. So as long as there's something mm-hmm. to research and figure out, I'm always excited for the task at hand. And what is it like working with the like record label, right? I feel like that's a specific part of producing that's not talked about a lot. What are the expectations that a producer is given when given a project from the record label? So uh, a quick music video 101 of sort of the steps in music video creation. Usually an artist, uh, if they're at a major label, they have a video commissioner that works at the label that is in charge of reaching out to directors to get treatments. Directors submit treatments. They call it down to, you know, a top amount, three, five, ten. So have what, what, what have you. And the... At that point, usually they let the directors know, like, "Hey, we're really excited about this. You're you're in, you know, the running." And at that point, their produ- the director, if they have a production company, usually starts reaching out to producers to be like, "Hey, this is coming down the pipe. It's a hundred thousand dollars. Do you think this is possible?" Mm-hmm. And at that point, I read the treatment. I start to make a budget. Uh, this is usually on spec and try and figure it out for them and tell them like hell no cut that car explosion or cut whatever to like trying to get in control or like yeah you know i think we can swing it and sort of give its blessing then hopefully the job awards at that point once the job awards that's when the label sort of comes into the play and i spend most of my time talking to the video commissioner and they're effectively my client and it's really just trying to balance expectations uh because as i was saying they might think a hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money Mm -hmm. and they might want some real premium thing that you're not prepared to deliver so it's that same communication of making sure they understand that they're walking to a warehouse with no security or they're walking into the most state of the art soundstage with Mm -hmm. parking in a coffee bar you know like trying to make sure that they know what kind of project they're they're working with. And then it's also, you know, some of the artists, specifically female artists, then it becomes this glam as a production in itself. Right. It's, you know, making sure that the stylist is delivering on looks. It's getting the makeup and hair 
teams on board so you know how long things are going to take in, in the morning. If there's a reset of looks, how long that's going to set you back. So it's trying to get ahead of all these things so you just don't show up at the start of the call t- of the call time on the shoot day and be like, oh, wait, that looks going to take three hours to switch over. We thought it was a 15-minute change. You know? Right. So it, it's really just trying to get over those things with the label. Also just, you know, what is the rider? What Does the artist need transportation? Do they need security? Mm-hmm. Um, are we out in the middle of the street and someone famous and you have to deal with paparazzi? It's all those things that are sort of artist-focused that you work out with the label. No, that's really interesting. There is a lot to consider, especially even just with, am I with someone famous in broad daylight, how to deal with paparazzi? There is a lot that goes into shooting. Music videos specifically, I feel like such a tricky art form, especially today, working with all of these people, working with the label, working with the director. There's obviously the artist that really wants to make sure that this looks a certain way. So I can imagine the like time it takes to get some of this off the ground. And once you get the, the money to be able to start building it, who the first people to call are. As soon as I know something is happening, I start to put feelers out and start, quote unquote, casting the team. So normally it'd be at least the people that report to me, so the production department. And if it's a director I've worked with before, I know the director has, you know, a costume designer or a DP that they like. You want to put it on their radar as soon as possible, just because... Mm-hmm. You never know when the job's going to confirm. You don't want to be like, if you only called me 24 hours earlier, y- you could have had me for this job. I try to reach out, but mm-hmm. musicians also can be very flaky and you don't want to ruin your relationships by right. having all these jobs that you've hit them up for that go away. So you try to make sure it seems pretty real um, before you do that. But I try to reach out to as many people as possible, even... In L.A., sometimes when it's really busy, it's, like, hard to find a truck. So it's, like, Um, first thing to do is, like, (laughs) put a cube truck on hold because you don't want to be, like, I have nothing to pick all this stuff up with. Transportations definitely. There's been a couple of times, even when we got back from the pandemic, just getting transportation, trucks, everything was completely booked out. Yeah. The city was so busy. No, that's a really good note is the moment that a production starts coming to fruition, get things locked in, even if it's tentatively, especially things like a truck, which you can easily cancel an order on those. Um, and that's really interesting. And I'd love to talk about some of your more recent projects. Obviously, in the last couple of years, you've had a handful of really really awesome things that have come to fruition specifically after humble you got to work on two more Kendrick Lamar projects and I would love to just hear what your experience was one working with someone like himself but also how this collaboration came to light to begin with so humble came about mainly because one of the places I interned funny enough was radical media and as I started to produce I just kept in touch with the people that worked there and they sort of saw that I was, you know, gaining some notoriety and doing some bigger projects. And they started to give me some small projects to try on uh, on my own. And Dave Myers has been a really long time director at Radical Media and he was director of Humble. And I, I mean, I was interning for him when I was a sophomore and junior in college. Um, so I've known him for a really long time. So it was a very interesting change in experience to go from your, your boss to being their producer. Dave basically saw that I I was doing some big videos and was like, 
let's try it out for this Kendrick project that we have going on. And it was it was large. We were doing two videos at the same time. So we had another producer, Nathan Scherer, who was co-producing with me. Um, so we could try and do this immense workload. Mm-hmm. And it also had a very crazy turnaround because they were trying to keep the song locked down. So we basically did the video from start to finish in 10 days, which is extremely aggressive for a music video. And overall, I, I think the experience went well. That's where I met Dave Free, who's Kendrick's manager, and where I met Kendrick. And we so we did Humble and we did a video called Love from that album. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Kendrick has been working on this most recent album since then. And earlier last year, I got a call from Jamie Rabinu, who also is part of Humble and now works at PG Lang. And they invited me back, which was really nice to know that they liked what I did and wanted to have me. And so we did the heart part five and we did count me out. And I love you were specifically saying something just about production for music videos. And it was quite ambitious to shoot that in 10 days. What does a typical production look like when you're going onto a music video of that size? Let's sure. say. There's nothing typical. The music industry mm-hmm. is, is can be erratic. I, I would say at the bare minimum, I normally would be looking at two weeks of prep and then one to three shoot days for a music video and then at least a month of post. So we did that all in 10 days instead. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I've been doing, I was doing some soft prep, some location research up to that point, but once all the triggers were pulled, it was a, a scramble to get everything permitted, find the right locations. Yeah. We shot it, I think, in three days. And yeah, we had the VFX team and the editorial team on set because we had to be editing as we were shooting. We were temping VFX at the same time. So we had to throw a lot of money towards, you know, this accelerated turnaround. Right. That's really interesting. And I guess going now back to Count Me Out in the Heart Part 5, what's interesting about those music videos is how close Kendrick is to crafting them. Obviously, as a director, Dave Free is also a director, I think on both of them, right? What is it like going from a music video where there's a separate director from the artist, but now you have the artist also being this close to directing it? Is there a different way you have to walk on to that production knowing, okay, Kendrick's going to be a part of this. He's going to be very meticulous about how this comes together. Do you have to see it through differently? Yeah, that that kind of exposes a different aspect of producing, definitely. Uh, I've been in different scenarios uh, with artists being directors. Uh, I've done a lot of work with Sia, who Mm -hmm. directs a lot of her own work, uh, sometimes with her collaborator, Daniel Askell. I've also done work where I have celebrities or actors that are directing for the first time. So there's a lot of hand-holding that goes into that. It's almost like a little mini film school at times. I've worked with a range of different people that are coming into directing and producing a lot of it is really kind of being a chameleon for, Mm -hmm. for the situation and really adapting to what the needs might be. Uh, But to go back to specifically Kendrick, he has this very long standing relationship with Dave. I want to say they've known each other since they were teenagers. So their collaboration is a little bit more direct Mm -hmm. and sort of the, the summary of what is needed, it gets passed on to me for me to go execute. Gotcha. Yeah. What really interested you specifically for Account Me on the Heart Part 5? Is there something that you really wanted to help them bring to life? Um, well, I think 
working with Kendrick's a, a lot easier of a decision to make because you know he's making some of the best music out there. Right. So there was no question whether the song was going <laughs> to be good. So that easily checked that box. But, you know, oh, I think what's really interesting about the hard part five is the the simplicity of it. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, relatively easy to produce. It's just him against the, a painted backdrop. And I think Count Me Out, it, it's fairly large in scope. Pretty much every shot in the video is its unique vignette. And mm-hmm. we had to figure out how we we could achieve that because... I, I don't know what the actual count is of how many vignettes we have, but we only have three days to shoot it. We have to figure out how to take, find bases, find anchors in what our locations or what existing logistics we had and kind of make it work. So right. those are always challenging. There's a lot of directors that kind of direct in a very vignette kind of way. And it's always about how to get as many things on their mind shot right yeah there's a lot of setups definitely and count me out and just out of curiosity what was it like working with helen mirren as well as the for the therapist uh helen was great couldn't be more lovely and uh, she was you know very excited to be there too yeah how did she get involved in the project you know we were just looking for someone that could really bring uh, gravitas to the role it's one of those things where the problem in music videos is you don't really have a lot of time to develop a character mm-hmm. and you kind of a, a lot of times the music videos rely on celebrity cameos because they need an actor that's going to either bring something from their past roles or just their you know general persona that you know will help elevate the video you know it, if it was sort of an unknown actor you might not be able to dive right into that video as well you know we just kind of made a dream list of, of people that would be an amazing therapist type of role and Helen was the one that said yes. So that's really cool. Yeah. And I guess in I don't know if this is something that really plays into you as a producer, but obviously the Heart Part Five came out right before his latest album, and then he had a couple of other music videos that came out. In terms of scheduling, are you a part of how that's formulated and just the overall release of it and how that is going to play into, especially with the Grammys coming up? Is that something that you're a part of, or is there typically like a different team that works on that? Usually that comes from management or the record label. I like the marketing conversations. I'm always curious how people Mm -hmm. come up with things, but usually I don't have too much input on it. Right. Now I want to talk about, you don't only just do music videos. Obviously you did the film that came out, The Seven Faces of Jane, and you've also been a part of the Beastie Boys documentary. I want to hear what it was like trying to pivot from doing music videos to now trying to get into different parts of the, the whole just filmmaking medium. What was your strategy or was there a reason or did this something that just like landed on your plate? It's been really hard to transition. I think mm-hmm. the unfortunate thing, and I, I, don't, I don't think it's only in filmmaking, but you kind of get pigeonholed for what you do. And I think a lot of other creative positions uh, in film feel the same way, where they do one thing and they're like, oh, that's their thing. That's what, that's the kind of things that they shoot, or this is the kind yeah. of uh, tone that they always like. And, you know, most people are have diverse interests and want to do a lot of different things so for for the longest time in building my career i was just trying to work and just trying to do cool things so once i got to the point where you know i had some credibility i had some success i really wanted to try and move back into other mediums and 
once again, music videos was just something I fell into because Ross, the person that I started to work for when I started as a PA and as a coordinator, was doing music videos and commercials. And it was just really a coincidence that I went down this music video course. When I came out of film school, I really wanted to make films. So I had to try and take a look at my career and know that if I really wanted to to make this transition, I might have to turn down some music videos and mm-hmm. might have to take some other, you know, smaller gigs to to make this transition. So uh, I would say the transition kind of started with this film that I worked on called Music. It was directed by Sia. And I was brought on as uh, an associate producer and ultimately was a co-producer on the project. That was very unique in the sense of it was my music video client that was bringing me into the feature space because thankfully I had such a close re- relationship with Sia and her work as a director that she she was the one that insisted that I work on the film. She, being a, a pop star and a celebrity, mm-hmm. she could have, you know, leveled up and found anyone else to work with, but she's a very kind soul and very much respected me and knew what I brought to the table that she was like, no, Jason needs to be involved in this film. I know he's not producing the whole film, but he's part of the team and he needs to be there. So it was really her sticking up for me that brought me into the film conversation. That's really nice. And um, I, as a result, I hit up, I, I really became close with the film's producer, Vincent Landay, who's Spike Jones's producer um, for most of his film career and his music video and commercial career. And that kind of set me off into um, some of the other feature and narrative opportunities, which became working with Spike on Beastie Boy Story. And also that uh, working on music led me to working on the transparent finale for Amazon, where I was an associate producer as well. So as much as I thought I need to go completely away from music videos to make films, it really was my music video career that helped jump off other Mm -hmm. other projects is there something that you like about being a producer on a film that you quite can't get say on a music video the nice thing about working on a feature because it's longer i guess is there's way more support staff right um on a music video i'm used to doing a lot of other jobs um wrapped into mine you know literally down to if it's a small music video like i might have to go to trader joe's and shop the craft service you know but on a feature, it's, you know, there's people to do that. I don't yeah. have to do that every day. So having support in your job and not feeling like you have to do every little thing mm-hmm. makes the experience so much nicer. Absolutely. And let's spend some time talking about The Seven Faces of Jane, a really interesting piece. When did this come across your table and what intrigued you about it? And could you give us a synopsis for the audience of what the film is about? Sure. Just a small correction. Uh, you mentioned at the start that it's on Netflix. It's on video on demand. Okay. Right now. So The Seven Faces of Jane is based on this concept of Exquisite Corpse. Exquisite Corpse is a game that the Surrealist painters used to play. Mm-hmm. And it's it's also known as Consequences, where essentially it's a collaborative art creation. So we took that in a film context by having what is seven or eight directors direct one feature film. So they share one character named Jane, played by Gillian Jacobs. And we have eight directors that wrote, or possibly co-wrote, depending on the person, different pieces of Jane's journey. And 
we constructed a feature film out of that. So it's not really an anthology of short films. Mm -hmm. It's really one film that just so happens to be directed by eight people. And when they were directing, they had no idea what, what was coming before them, what was coming after. So you have a mix up of genres and a mix up in tones that, um, hopefully works as an interesting experiment. And um, to answer your question, how I sort of came into it, uh, through my music video and commercial work, I work a lot with the Directors Bureau, which is Roman Coppola's company. And through that relationship, I've also done a music video for Paul Paul McCartney with uh, Roman. And he brought me onto this film, and mainly because it wasn't a large budget. It was $2 million. And we had to try and figure out how to balance eight directors and all of their desires. And, you know, we gave them this sort of fair two days each uh, approach so that, you know, they they had the same sort of constraints. Mm-hmm. But I it was a lot of work. And I ended up bringing another producer, Sarah Park, to co-produce it with me uh, so that I could take four directors, she could take four yeah. directors uh, just to get through it because it was too much for one person and... Uh, we also had uh, Allison Amon that was uh, overseeing it for us, too. Oh, wow. So what did principle look like, if you could just break that down? It was really quick. You know, the director, it was kind of like we tried to pitch it as a game for the directors. So they had about a month of prep to conceive, write, look for locations. So over that course of the month, we were just trying to get all the their their pieces together and then we shot for 15 days. It's confusing because it's called The Seven Faces of Jane, but there's eight directors. Yeah, Seven directors got two days each. Gillian Jacobs got to direct the opening and the closing. We did that in one day. Mm. So that was a 15-day shoot. Uh, we did that in August of 2021. And then we had to... Then we It was almost like a television show in the sense that we were editing it, uh, currently was shooting it, and it was kind of overlapped. And then we then we had to finish it, and we did the same thing for sound. And so it was, it was this you know constant uh, balancing of everyone's yeah. desires, and still trying to keep it on budget. How did the rest of the production look? Did you guys use the same director of photography, and everybody else was the same? The directors or what swapped out? Yeah. So the one way that we conceived of trying to make it relatively sane was to have the same DP, same production designer, same costume yeah. designer the physical production crew more or less stay the same with one exception. And uh, post though, we kind of opened it up. Anyone could edit with whoever they wanted to. We have the same sound mixer for the whole project. So it was a balance of trying to keep the same crew uh, to, to not make utter chaos. Yeah. And was there anything specific that really inspired you? I'm assuming the challenge in itself was probably fun as a producer trying to crack the code of how to manage all of the different directors. And I love like what you were saying before, how the style for each portion changes too, because there's no parameters on how that's supposed to look. But was there anything that's that specifically stood out in the script that you loved? Well, when I signed on, there was no script. Okay. So really what I was signing on to was the experiment of it. Right. And the idea of like, can we create a enjoyable film with these disparate elements and it it was a challenge that that brought me to it and you know it was an opportunity to really produce a a narrative feature which i hadn't been given the opportunity up to that point so it it was a potential learning experience for me which was appealing 
And it, it was nice to also do it with a company that supported me, you know, having a relationship with Roman and having a relationship with the production with his company. Like I knew I had the resources to, to not fail, but to, to have the support if I needed it. I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. And is this something, are you in the union now as a producer? Um, so there's no real uh, union for producers. Okay. Um, there's, the, there's the, the PGA, guild, yeah. which is the producers guild. Um, it's really just, uh, I, I'm forgetting what the, the wording technically is, but it's, uh, it's just an, uh, it's a mem- professional membership organization mm-hmm. and I'm not a member, uh, just because at this current stage, it, it's not giving me anything that I, I need at, at, at the moment. Uh, and being a member doesn't preclude you from the PGA mark, which is at yeah. the end of most movies or large movies that you see. But I am in the DGA as a union, uh, unit production manager, mm-hmm. which uh, is kind of a, a interesting role. And it's a lot like a line producer. But uh, I was brought into the DGA through Beastie Boys Story. And I've kind of been using that to as an advantage for the feature films that I've been making. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it might be interesting to hear about the whole beastie boys story experience that came before the film that we were just talking about. And it's two different types of film, obviously one's narrative, one's documentary. What does that look like as a producer when you're going into something now that's a documentary? And it's also an interesting film because there was the live component to it as well. Right. Yeah, so I would say I came into it because, um, as I was mentioning before, Vincent Lande is was the producer on music. He introduced me to Spike, and we actually were looking at maybe doing a music video together. And when the music video didn't come come through, he brought up uh, the idea of doing Beastie Boys Story. And that's really kind of st- where it started. That Spike wanted to figure out how to visualize this book that the Beastie Boys made together called Beastie Boys Book. And that was a sort of the interesting way of which they were aver- or marketing the book was they were doing these kind of retellings of some of these stories. Mm-hmm. And Spike had seen it and thought it was just a really, in- they're, they're so charismatic that he loves watching them tell these stories. So he was trying to figure out how to put that on film and then from capturing those shows that we did, it kind of became a sort of bigger documentary look at their career by then utilizing all these photos and all this archival media that they were pouring through to make the book. That's sort of how I came in and how I approached it. I, I never had done a, a documentary before necessarily. And it, it there was a, a big learning curve. Like I never had to, I forget what the stat is. I think we have 600 elements in the film that we had to clear and from music to photos to video that's a lot of work and and what does the process look behind just like clearing that what does that look like the hardest thing is when you don't know who who it belongs to yeah um sometimes we'd find a photo online and we would ask uh, mike and adam and like hey do you remember this photo shoot and they're like nope uh, <laughs> that was way too long ago so it's a lot of you know forensic uh, science uh, in, with the internet to try and track down who might might have owned it, and then let alone how to contact this person, and then come to an agreement whether for money or mm-hmm. for various things to to allow them to uh, allow their piece to be in the project. So 
just repeat that times 600 elements or so it's almost like clearing music right um other than music is a little bit easier to find who owns it right and something i would love for you to talk about in a little bit is the fact that you have a pr team that backs you right so you're with you're with lumos pr i think is their name uh stephanie she works directly mm-hmm. with you how has that helped you because i feel like not enough people consider pr when they're whether they're a director producer cinematographer they have new projects coming out a lot of people have agents but i feel like a pr team backing you is an integral part of getting you out in the industry how has it benefited you Sure. Um, well, I think producing is a little bit different than uh, some of the other below mm-hmm. the line positions. You know, there's obviously a lot of agents for DPs or production designers or editors and things like that. And as a producer, you know, I, I'm really thankful I'm able to pretty, stay pretty busy. I, I don't really need someone actively looking for work for me. I usually have uh, enough people to turn down already to that I just mm-hmm. can't even uh, take on there uh, take something else on my plate so in lieu of an agent or a manager that maybe a director or actor would have um, I kind of opted for just going with a publicist yeah to uh, you know help me network beyond sort of my means and you know I think it's also important to have a, a lawyer handy I don't have someone full-time but I have someone that I can hit up when it's really just to to look at a, a deal memo and know that you're getting something fair. I think having a lawyer uh, that you have access to that specializes in entertainment, it it's helpful because you don't know, as a producer, I don't ever hire other producers. So I don't know what other deals people might be getting, whether it's, you know, terms or, you know, actual pay. So having a lawyer that's like, oh, yeah, when I did this deal with so-and-so, they, I was able to get them this. I was like, oh, I didn't even think of asking for that. So um, having a team around you is important. You, you can't do it by yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, we recently just got a PR team and it always seems like it's so nice to be able to have someone to facilitate some of those conversations. And like you said, a lawyer, that's an integral part of just being in film and being able to understand the legality of it, especially when you're going on a bigger production. I'm assuming if you have something that you might have a question about or a contract comes across your table, you're like, yeah, it might be great to just have someone look this over with you. I guess a question that I have, you know, with just the industry where it currently is and how much is always changing, right? We always have new new technology. There's a lot of competition right now in terms of just the narrative medium with television, film. Where do you see it going and how do you see the producer role evolving with a lot of those changes? I mean, I think in the short form industry, everything is pretty much staying the same. It doesn't seem... Mm-hmm to be changing necessarily um but i think in sort of the theatrical market and streaming there there's a lot of changes that are kind of upcoming uh you know there's rumors of a strike and there's uh and all all these you know union contracts kind of being up for negotiation yeah and we're working in new media that's not really new anymore so you know it's no different than so many other industries or even like our government that kind of needs to go back and acknowledge that the internet is a very big vital part of our lives and it's not going anywhere and you know it's it's changed how we consume everything yeah 
are there any changes that you hope happen in the next couple of years in just the film industry overall that you're really fighting for as a producer? I love paying people. I, I, I think everyone should, should get what they deserve. And I think there's always different scales of what a project is and what can be afforded. And, you know, I would love to see more diversity of pay scales and rate mm-hmm. sheets for uh, all the different kind of uh, projects that are out there and see that reflected in union contracts. And I think also just support from all these big streaming giants and yeah. studios to, you know, um, not only support the people that make it, but also give better options for the consumer. Right. With a role that you're in being a producer, obviously your schedule is all over the place. You have a lot of things that you have to juggle. There's always new projects coming across your table. Some of the things I always love to hear about filmmakers is how they just manage their lifestyle and also just general wellness. Are there any things that you do for your just daily routine or tips that you have that you can share? I I don't have a hack. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You're still figuring it out. I'm still figuring it out. Um, Balance is is a tricky thing to to pull off. And I think it's just knowing yourself. It's uh, being able to recognize when you're feeling overwhelmed or nervous or um, and not being afraid to to say that you, you know, you need five minutes or to step away and, you know, really take the time for yourself and calm yourself or, you know, center yourself, I guess. I've heard that from a couple of producers. The best thing to do is if you're in a situation is really just advocating for, Hey, I need a second. Not everything has to be so immediate. Obviously there's scenarios where you have to come up with an answer quick, but if you have a minute or five minutes to just be able to step aside from set and really like rein things in and figure out, all right, what is the best next step? Or if it's for your mental health or whatever that might be, I've heard a lot of other producers advocating for that time which I think is great being a filmmaker whether if you're a producer director you always have to realize what the scenario that you're stepping in and when you're offset is being able to just take that time for yourself and really trying to reground yourself going into the next project I guess as you look back at your career obviously you've done so many great projects and you're still going to be doing so many great projects what are some of the core tenets that you think every producer or just general filmmaker should have when coming on to a project well, I, I would only suggest that everyone should produce something once in their life, um, mm-hmm. if, especially if they're in film. Like, I, I think that even applies to people outside of film because producing something on your own is it, it's such an overwhelming experience that I think you would learn a lot and you'll at least find out if you're not good at it yeah. um, or you don't have quite the, the skill set for it. Even as like, I don't know, a DP, a costume designer, like that, that was really the beauty of NYU. It's like you really understood what the challenges are for each person in each position so that you have empathy for them when things aren't going right and you, you, you're being selfish and you want this thing for your department, but you have to understand what's happening on the other side. The best thing is, is really just empathy, mm-hmm. I, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. That's really awesome. And what would just be some general advice for someone that just wants to, who maybe can't go to NYU or get into some of these larger institutions, but really wants to figure out a way to get into the industry? What would be your advice to be able to make that first step? I'm definitely not one of those people to think that film school is the only solution for you. It was kind of a unique scenario for me, as I was saying, from Hawaii. 
I didn't have access to independent film or have that knowledge. And this was early internet. So YouTube wasn't around. I couldn't just go down a YouTube uh, deep dive to figure out how to do this. And there was, you know, some books out there, but you don't, you don't, it, film school is only for for people that need some some deeper knowledge and appreciate sort of a classroom environment and sort of a mentor and things like that. I think there's plenty of resources online that are available for free that um, you can mm-hmm. get sort of the same knowledge. And as a great starting point, would you say is just being a PA, getting yourself on a production and learning the ropes of what a production, how it works, and then slowly navigating up that ladder? Yeah, I think being a PA is the the best thing to do. Just see what feels right to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, on Seven Faces of Jane, we had someone who was essentially PA in the camera department and kind of found a, a love for wardrobe uh, oh, wow. as a result. So, you know, I think PA uh, exposes you to all the nuances of all these different departments, so you can find you know what would make you uh, passionate about continuing your journey in film. Yeah. That's awesome. And I know you said you had some projects coming up, right? And I would love to hear a little bit about what's next in your career. Yeah. Um, so last fall, uh, I went to Oregon and I made a independent feature film called It's What's Inside. Uh, I was one of the producers on that and it's uh, directed by Greg Jarden. And right now we're in post uh, just trying to finish it up and uh, hopefully I'll be on the festival circuit by the end of the year, if, if not the next. That's amazing, Jason. And how can people keep up with you? I know you're on Instagram. What is your Instagram handle? Yeah, Instagram's probably the best. It's my name, Jason underscore bomb. Um, it's the same on all the other platforms. That's amazing. And I have a question that is about, you're always saying you're looking for new ways to challenge yourself as a producer and just a filmmaker. What are some of the things that you would like to do coming up in your career that you haven't had the chance to do yet? It's usually a lot of toy related things like equipment that I haven't been able to Mm -hmm. afford or have the right project to use or, um, I, I love figuring out stunts um, and, you know, like car related work because it's just a skill set that I don't get to use very often. So more complicated things. I think also, you know, expanding. I love calling the permit office with some crazy thing that we want to do and trying to figure it out. I have this one video that you can find on my website. It's uh, for... Laney, uh, who's a music artist. It's a wonder that we essentially started in a house in sort of a Marina Del Rey-ish and fall onto the onto a road and for the entire length of the song, uncut, this car is driving with the act uh, the musician strapped to the trunk and then he jumps off the car and walks straight onto the beach and towards the ocean. All mm-hmm. the wonder. And I love things like that where it's like you see on the page and you're like, there's no way we can do this, but it just requires time and a lot of preparation and communication to, uh, to figure out how to pull it off. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Jason, this has been so insightful and we really appreciate giving your time to talk about the producing process, everything that, that you've had going on these last couple of years and through your career. We're super excited to see what you have coming up next. I'd love to open up for any questions. If anyone has it, that's watching. 
uh, David. I don't know if there's anyone that's going to come in for that. But Jason, we really appreciate your time. And I guess to close it out while people are filing in with any questions, what are your thoughts on the Academy Awards this year? Was there is there anything in particular that you're rooting for for Best Picture or any of the categories? Sure. Um, well, I think I'm partial because I'm friends with the Daniels and all the people that worked on Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, some of my best and dearest friends and crew members uh, were a part of that. So definitely rooting for that. I really love uh, Martin McDonough and mm-hmm. Banshee's been there sharing, though. I have yet to see that. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, an amazing film. Really, really did love it. Didn't have the chance to see Banshees yet. I really loved All Quiet on the Western Front. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's what I'm personally rooting for. But I'm okay. also just such a big World War One person. And to see like a world war one film that i feel was actually done right and really well not to say that i didn't like 1917 but it wasn't particularly my favorite world war one perspective okay so hopefully uh we get something like that but it's a really it's been pretty solid year especially for cinematography sure i feel like this year that might be the category that i'm most excited to see what the results uh, again, I really hope it's all quiet, okay. but there's a lot of Bardo really good... is incredible. I have not seen that yet. Everyone should watch Bardo. It's on Netflix. Yeah. It's a crime to watch it on Netflix. You should watch it in a theater, but it's not around. Yeah. Um, it was at Camera Maj. I had the opportunity to go cool. there, and it was on the big screen. But that was one of the few films that I didn't get to see on the big screen, unfortunately. Yeah. Incredible work by uh, Darius Kanji and uh, yeah. Ari Robbins, the camera operator. That's awesome. Jumping into the world of like what what could you have wished you had worked on? So the question comes in from Kurt. Says, "What projects haven't you worked on? You're hoping to work on, or what projects that have come and gone that you wish you could have snagged but you didn't?" I try not to uh, ruminate on what could have been um, too much, but uh, you know, there's plenty of artists that that I would still love to work with. you know, I've, I've worked with Taylor Swift on some tour visuals, but I've yet to do a music video with her. Um, you know, I think she's doing incredible things. And some, I, I would also say I would love to do a Katy Perry video. Like, I, I love big pop music videos. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've done my share, but I wouldn't mind doing more. So I love kind of those big videos. And I think uh, really what inspired me to make music videos was Missy Elliott and other than just being a music fan and wanting her to come back, uh, would love to do a music video for her um, on a feature level. I mean, there's so many directors that I admire and Spike being one of them and very thankful to, to work with him. But, um, you know, I, you know, I love David Fincher. Um, I love Ina Ritu. Um, I, Paul Thomas Anderson would be a dream. Yeah. The list goes on. Yeah. Those are really good ones. Is there anything that you have coming up that you're going to be directing? Always looking for directing opportunities. Um, you know, I, I, I'm really kind of a believer. You know, as, as some people in the industry might might feel like you only can really do one thing. And I like to believe that, you know, we're all artists and we can branch out into different things. I have a lot of friends that are, you know, ADs or editors or DPs that also are very talented directors and feel like, they should have those kind of opportunities. So as a producer, you know, I, I would definitely love to direct more. Um, I love to make a feature. I think that's really still kind of tied to my film school background is that's still a goal that I yeah. hope I can achieve. Uh, Do you write sooner than later? your own stuff? I'm not really a writer. No. Um, mm-hmm. That was definitely sort of 
the weaker point in film school where I just never felt like I could quite get the knack of it. Yeah, for sure. All right, everyone. Well, this was another amazing episode of Finding the Frame. Jason, we really appreciate giving your time and all of the insight. We're super excited to have you back, especially for your next projects coming up and to talk about what you have going on. We wish you the best with all of the things that you're working on. And please make sure to keep up with Jason Baum on Instagram. He's always posting great stuff. I love seeing all of your Grammy posts and just getting a little eye on what it's like to be there. Stay tuned for more coming at Filmmakers Academy. We'll see you next time. Thanks Thanks, so much. Hi, I'm Shane Hurlbut, and I'm an ASC cinematographer. And my wife and I have created this incredible resource called the Filmmakers Academy. And we'd love for you to download and rate our app. If you're a filmmaker, do yourself a favor and download the Filmmakers Academy app today. It's available wherever you get your apps. Most notably, the App Store, Google Play, Amazon App Store, and the Roku Channel Store. The app includes everything on the platform for all access members and from content to community and coaching opportunities, everything you need to master your craft. So download the app. And this is the most important part. Be sure to rate it. Rating us really helps us spread the word and enhance our rankings in this dedicated app store. So if you love what we're doing, this is a way to show it. Together, let's take your career as a filmmaker to the next level.